Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. That cold case you're listening to? Nasty stuff. But you know what else is a crime? Missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Hello, and welcome to episode one of season four of Mixtape Memories. Memories. I'm Jenners. I'm Matt Hartsby. And today we have a very special guest uh, from Canada, (laughs) from Toronto, (laughs) Frank Yang. And you may know him from his old music blog, Chrome Waves. And now he's a... kind of starting up slowly like uh, a new blog called Space Echo in his free time. Frank, welcome to the pod. How are you doing? Thank you very much. Good to be here. So awesome to have you and reminisce about the good times back in the day. (laughs) I think you're our first guest from Toronto, first Canadian guest ever probably. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. That sounds plausible. I don't know who else else you would have gotten. Win Butler like... wasn't available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like you're the only Canadian blogger I know, maybe even. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, back in the first wave of things, I was the only one who, I think, threw himself into it as much as some of the Americans did. I knew a bunch of others who did it casually, but I just didn't have anything else to do with my time. and that became what that was. Um, but yeah, there weren't a lot um, in the early 2000s. I was going to say, you started pretty early because, I mean, I remember when I was uh, like junior, senior in college and I would read Product Shop, I would read The Modern Age, and and you were around as well. I feel like you were part of that very early wave, no? Uh, I was. Um, 2003, I know that uh, Flux Blog, mm-hmm. Stereo Gum, Large Hearted Boy were all preceded me. Um, modern age was before me, but I would say that if you were to take, I'd be in the top 10 to 15 of the first ones who like stuck it out for any duration of time. Cause a lot of the, um, the bigger ones who are still around today, uh, start up around, I think 2005, there was just a wave of new blogs like gorilla versus bear. You ain't no Picasso, my old Kentucky blog. And it's just like, who are these guys? Where do they come from? Mm-hmm. Why are they doing this so much better than I am? Why are they making more money? I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. Because they thought about it instead of just doing it. They had a plan. Mm-hmm. Well, some of them, some people, we've talked about this. Some people, I think, went into the blog universe maybe with a different mindset, maybe with a more business mindset than like a just passion about bands and music. Um, oh, absolutely. And more, especially and I, I more so now. There's less people, I think, that are writing because of sheer uh, excitement and more so because of the business model and covering certain acts that are more friendly to receive clicks. You know what I mean? Yeah, the early days, it was like you didn't realize anyone was reading, so you just sort of did what you wanted. Mm-hmm. But that naivete is gone. Um, so, And also, there's less, there's less money there's way less money out there. So if you're going to bother, you really do need to approach it from a little more of a business point of view and to make it worth your while, unless you just really enjoy it, in which case, you know, off you go. But um, it, it makes sense to, to approach it that way. I don't resent them for it <laughs> much. How did you even, like, come up with the idea to start a blog? Boredom. I didn't even know what one was until I realized that a couple of my friends had personal blogs, like just in the actual days of personal blogs where you wrote a diary and kept it online. So I saw that and thought it was kind of interesting, maybe a little self-indulgent, but I had some hosting. Um, I don't even think I reserved a domain name. I was on a blog spot initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, likewise. Uh, yeah. I just mm-hmm. started doing that. And because I had nothing else to do, um, I just continued doing it. And it started off as like a personal thing. And then I realized my life really wasn't worth writing about. So it just sort of shifted into pop culture commentary things. And then mostly just music because I didn't really watch that much TV or see enough movies to have it be broad. 
in that mm -hmm. sense. I'm wondering, uh, because I feel like in the New York bubble around the same time, there were so many of us that we kind of formed this little group and you'd go to a show and you'd bump into five, six people you know, and you know, you maybe know the door person and the photographer and other bloggers. What, how do you, I, I, I guess it's tough to say how would it compare to New York, but how would you describe in general the Toronto scene back then? And how do you, what kind of kinship did you feel to what was going on in New York at the time? Um, Toronto was similar, but like all things, much, 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 much smaller. I mean, I was fortunate to have started around the time that like the arts and crafts scene became a thing that was 2003, 2004, maybe I forget when you forgotten people was, mm -hmm. uh, an arcade fire and all that. So it was like, there was an actual scene kind of for the first time in Canada and people were writing about it and not just locally like the new york times sent a reporter up here to like what's this canada thing all about <laughs> and people lost their minds because you know canada has a massive inferiority complex so this sort of gave us one thing to puff our chests out about people were actually paying attention to us as far as going to shows like it became that everyone knew what the hot shows to go to were because you had that kind of circle of uh, the, enough of an echo chamber that if you wanted to hear it you would know what was happening and what was worth seeing so for a good number of years, I could go to a show on my own, just go to cover it, and I would know almost everybody in the front row, like the same people just hanging out. A lot of them are still my friends today. Everyone who is doing anything music-related has justly fled and gone to do other things that are much more profitable and worthy of their time. But, um, you know, there was a lot of friendships that came out of that. It was a good little scene. Um, so same similar thing, obviously much, much smaller than uh, than new york just like everything yeah i feel like um back then it was like really an explosion of music from like new york and canada and then the thing that i feel like really stood out about canadian bands were like how many members they had in their bands. yeah it was ridiculous uh, <laughs> i remember going to see a broken social scene show at um it was a free show at harbor front center which is this sort of semi-public uh public government funded arts thing on the water on lake ontario and because it was a big show, because it was going to be jammed, and because it was a hometown show, all the Broken Social Scene Toronto shows were these ridiculous affairs with 15, 16 members, mm. um, 12 guitars for no good reason. Um, it would generally be the only time that you would get Feist, uh, Emily, and Amy on stage at the same time. So that was always like, oh my God, they're all here. <laughs> and, you know, it was, it's, it was a good time. It was, even then we knew that it was something kind of special just because it, it would only happen here. New York, Amy was the one who usually went on tour with them, so they, she'd always be there. Maybe one of the others would be there, but it was kind of a silly thing to get worked up about, but it was a lot of fun. No, that is exciting. I mean, I remember seeing Broken Social Scene maybe three, four times in the mid-aughts, and yeah, I would always hope for the, the complete lineup, but that never really happened. In fact, I don't even think I ever saw them when Feist was like regularly touring with them. I don't know. She she blew up right after, so she was doing her own thing. I yeah. remember the very first V Fest that Toronto had in 2006. Uh, Massive Attack was supposed to headline the second day. And for whatever reason, I forget, maybe Visa, maybe something else, they had to cancel. And so Richard Branson pulled out his Richard Branson dollars and got locals, broken social scene, the headline, which was kind of like, eh, whatever. But as I understood it, Feist was in LA at the time. Mm. And they flew her back to play that show just to give it that extra bit of cachet of, of an occasion. Got it. Yeah. So that was even, even in Toronto, it didn't happen that often, but it might, but less so as time went on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did it all start? Like, were you just paying for tickets to go to shows in the <laughs> beginning? And then suddenly people were offering you like, you know, guest list spots and whatever. like a chump. Well, not like a chump. I, I had this sense of maintaining my integrity. There's air quotes here that people won't mm -hmm. see, but you know, just I wanted to remain unbiased as much as one could and just sort of do what I wanted to do, cover what I want to cover and just be free. So yeah, I was buying my own tickets. I was sneaking my point and shoot camera into shows. Mm -hmm. um, I was the one blowing flash in people's faces and hiding afterwards. Like <laughs> Same. Just, just doing the fan <laughs> thing. As I can look back on it now, it was kind of still the most fun because it was as I intended to just be me doing what I wanted to do. But I remember the first time I got guest listed, it was the sound guy for Crooked Fingers. He just emailed me out of nowhere 
and said, hey, I like your blog. You want to come to the show? And I'm like, what? You mean like for free? I, I don't understand. And yeah, so I got to go up to the door and said, I'm on the list and let me in. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. I don't understand what's happening. And then from then I got to know the promoters and PR people. And I started asking for things. Before that, I was just, I was too self-conscious because blogs weren't really acknowledged as a thing. Mm-hmm. So they're like, what, you run a website? Get out of here. We want newspapers and magazines. So once uh, the medium got a little bit more legitimacy and, you know, they, they knew me, they saw what I, they saw my work and I just became a little more established. Then I felt I didn't feel bad about it, but I still only requested to go to things that I knew that I would be interested in covering and not like as a joke or, you know, I'm not going to be the one who's going to go see Nickelback and write a crap review just for fun because that's a waste of everyone's time. Yeah, I feel the same. I mean, at a certain point, I started to get invited to shows, you know, pretty much every day of the week. And I'd go to a lot of things to discover a band, but I'd never purposely go to write to dig on them afterwards you know i just don't see the the point of that exactly your it's time nasty. is value it's there's there's some respect there they're they're working maybe somebody would who would want to go there could take that spot like it's just for, i mean i always worked full-time while doing this so my time was like i got better things to do than just go and whatever i mean that said i do wish that i had gone to see rush at one point because <laughs> i'm pretty sure i could have gotten in and i just i never yeah. did because I didn't think I could write a proper review. I still don't. But uh, now that that's all done, I really wish that I'd gone to see Rush. <laughs> yeah, once you get offered tickets to see kind of these iconic acts, it, it along those lines, I saw I got comps to Blondie some years ago, mm-hmm. and it actually was a really terrible show, unfortunately. Oh, unfortunate. And I didn't know what to say because, I mean, obviously I love Debbie Harry. Obviously I love Blondie, and, and it just was like, she just wasn't feeling it that night. And I, 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 instead of writing something kind of nasty or, or negative, I just decided not to cover it. And that's what I explained to the publicist. I was like, it's just, and, and you know what? The publicist was there and she realized it wasn't that great of a show. So I think we, I think we all kind of took similar tones, like in terms of not dragging people. Yeah. And I th- yeah. Debbie Harry probably has enough sense of self that she would have gotten over it. I don't think she was worrying about my blogspot.com review. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't, I mean, like, I feel like I always thought that I was like really positive, but when we were like reading back some of like the old blog posts, I feel like I was like a little sassier than I, I remember being. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, I mean, we covered what was happening at the time, but if you go back now, like I, I don't even know who half these bands that I was trying to write stuff up about were or are anymore. Like they put a direct and they disappeared, but you know, you don't know that at the time. It's like, Oh, this, this isn't bad. And that's kind of the most damning thing that they could be is just okay. Yeah. Mm. And you know, you go, you cover them. Maybe there'll be something, maybe there'll be some value to this. But uh, I, I basically had to abandon my MP3 collection because it's just full of blog stuff that, I don't ever want to look at or sift through <laughs> or ever deal with again. I hear that. And That's it's just, you, you don't know. And you're, you're into it. You want to be engaged in part of it and, and find something good. So you'll, you'll go and you'll cover it and you'll do your best. But, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, it's like, wow, that's a lot of just wasted hours. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'll tell you, like, when I weeded out my CD collection, like, I threw so many CDs away because so I was much. like, I don't want this demo from this band that I never listened to. So, <laughs> Exactly. Frank, did you come to New York for CMJ or anything else through the years? I came to New York a lot starting in around 2005. I think that's when I got over my realization that travel is actually not difficult or that expensive. Mm-hmm. That's when I started going south by southwest. That's when I started going to, uh, to New York. Not for CMJ expressly, but usually there would be some act I wanted to see that was playing there. So I'd get, buy a ticket. I think the accreditation for CMJ was a little weird or something. I just never bothered. Because mm-hmm. if you can't walk up and down 6th Street like it says by, I just <laughs> couldn't be bothered to club hop in, in a city like that. But I think three or four years I went down there to see somebody. As, more as an excuse to go to New York and mm-hmm. shop and eat and see some people. Mm-hmm. And I went to Pop Fest a couple times in uh, in the May, uh, in the springtime, 
and I think this last year may have been the first time in 14 or 15 years that I did not go to New York just recreationally just to yeah. just to be there and to hang out I mean for a few years I was going there to dog sit for some friends over Thanksgiving because free apartment for a week so <laughs> any excuse it's mm -hmm. it's an hour away it's easy mm -hmm. was there like a venue that really made an impression on you when you during your visits for the club shows I was at the basement of Webster Hall the studio mm -hmm. which mm. was just the basement Mm -hmm. um, I remember getting a free drink there because I checked in on Foursquare once, so that was exciting. I, I remember <laughs> oh that was God. like a whole thing once, like for a certain period of time. If you check in, then you get a, a comp drink. It was great. I yeah. just walked up there, showed them my phone like a chump, and like, here you go. It's like, <laughs> that was so weird. But I have a free drink. For anybody who doesn't know what Foursquare is. Now an... Swarm, which is <laughs> probably swarm. gone out of business now that no one goes anywhere. It's yeah. basically a stalker app, I feel like. It's like uh, you check into a place that people know where you are and uh, can like kind of follow you uh, or at least like know where you're going. But it kind of died, right? It kind of still runs, but it's it's pointless now, especially during the pandemic. Yeah. I check in at the grocery store <laughs> and at home and that's about it. But yeah. it reminds me of happier times when I could be like trying to find the place in Marrakesh that I am. Right, I'm right. At. It's like, oh, this is so cool. Yeah, that's true. That was what it was good for, like reminding you where you were. Be like, where was that like cool place that I went to? Exactly. Like, Ten years ago. But yeah, so Webster Hall um, went to Music Hall of Williamsburg once, which was is a nice room. Mm -hmm. um, the Bowery went there for a show a few years ago. That was of all the places I'd always wanted to go to there, and it's like, yeah, no, it's a room. Smaller, <laughs> smaller than I think, but uh, you know, because so many of the bands I liked had gone through there, mm -hmm. it had that sort of mystique to it. I mean, the best shows that I went to in New York were probably at MSG because I paid way too much for floors to see Blur and to see the Stone Roses, but I got yeah. to see Blur and I got to see the Stone Roses from like <laughs> second row. So that's amazing. I was I at just both never of those think shows about too. what they cost <laughs> and just remember like. MSG has a very lax camera policy, and it's marvelous. Mm -hmm. I'm just standing on the floor with my uh, my SLR. I'm like, this is insane. I can do this, and it was great. But yeah, a lot of holes in the wall. Um, venues that weren't really venues. I went mm -hmm. to pianos once. I think actually, Jane, I ran into you there. Um, oh yeah, probably. <laughs> one year. And was it the Bell House out mm -hmm. in Brooklyn? Went oh. there a couple times. Had no idea where I was going. Was sure I was going to get murdered on the way. <laughs> Because it's, is that Red Hook? Is that area? That Pretty industrial. Park Slope, basically. Park, is or that? Gowanus, Gowanus. Yeah, it feels between. more Gowanus. Because Park Slope, in my mind, is more residential. And this was walking just through, I don't know where the hell I was. I know, I was thinking And then Union it's a venue Hall, and there's hipsters. But... And I'm like, okay, yeah. I guess this must be the point. Right, that was kind of like the tail end of the aughts, I feel like, when that opened up. It's about right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I've been to stuff, but nowhere that I would call, oh, this is my usual kind of New York venue. This is where I'm going to be. Um, there's places, there's acts I wanted to see that was generally Music Hall Williamsburg, but um, you know, once I factored in the the plane ticket, it never seemed to make sense to just to go see a show. Right, right. I was hoping we could rewind all the way back to like very early music memories from the '90s and and actual mixtape culture. Sure. What do you recall uh, in terms of receiving and? creating mixtapes for folks and what kind of stuff was on it back in the day i'm pretty sure i never got a mixtape from anyone now that i think about it um i mean as befit someone who started blogging i was the one who was always making tapes you were the curator people. yeah because yeah, i it was around 91 that i decided consciously that music was going to be my thing like <laughs> before that i listened to radio watch much music which was our canadian mtv and i saw pop music and that was fine but um conveniently right around the time of Alternative Nation, um, Nirvana, whatnot. I was 16 years old, which is a very good time to start listening to uh, to music. So there was a lot of interesting stuff out there, stuff that I don't know if I like that 20 years later, it's like, oh, I do like this because I can now understand it. Mm -hmm. um, but you would read Spin, you'd read Rolling Stone, you'd just read everything and go buy the import CD because it sounded interesting. Mm -hmm. And maybe you'd like it, maybe you'd hate it. Um, but maybe to justify the expense and the trouble or just to be, seem cool, you'd put them all onto a mixtape 
Um, I gave some of them to friends, uh, but mostly I made them to put in my car and drive around and listen to the stuff. And maybe people I gave rides to would think I was cool for a little bit, but mostly they were just confused. <laughs> you didn't um, make any for like uh, romantic interests or <laughs> I probably attempted but I'm also absolutely certain that it did not work so that's just <laughs> completely forgotten what's like your best. like standard song that you'd always like put on a mixtape no matter who uh, it was for I didn't have those it would always be this is what I'm listening to right now or if there was a purpose it would always be specific to uh, to what I was making um, but I had I had the rules. The opening track was always important. The ending track on each side was always important. There was um, never repeat an artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember trying to squeeze, if I can get 46 or 47 minutes onto one side of a TDKD90, I felt like a god. Because you'd just be watching through the little window in the tape deck, listening to it fade out. I'd manually fade it out sometimes, just so it seemed like I made it work. <laughs> Um, I was really into the, the mechanics of, of the dubbing and also writing up the cards, trying to make sure everything fit onto one of them. No, no inserts, no extra writing. Uh-huh. So I'd write really, really small and my handwriting is illegible in the best of days. So it was terrible. Do you have like um, titles for it or? I may have, I do not remember any of them. I probably <laughs> did, but the, the whole, the whole ritual of it was, was important to me to make the, the presentation and thinking about it, a lot of this informed the blogging 10 yep. years later just because it set those habits of this is how i do things this is what it's going to be and stay in my lane this is what it is and also just like recognizing your own taste i feel like is like i do feel like it's a good setup to like becoming a blogger or some kind of curator yeah and it, it's aspirational it's like i'm putting this on here because i'm i believe that it's cool i don't really get it but i'm going to put it here because if nothing else, and every time I play this, I will hear the song again. And whether I like it or not, it will become familiar, which is the first step to becoming something that you like. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time, my tastes were pretty conventional. So even something like Pavement was weird because mm-hmm. the guy was singing kind of off key and with his knock mysticisms and was just like, I don't understand this. But. <laughs> I aspire to be someone who can be like, yeah, pavement, I'll listen to them. So it would be, they'd go on there and mm-hmm. they'd keep going on there. It's, it would always be like cut your hair or gold sounds or something very pop. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's, it's defining your own identity through those sorts of things that you put out into the world, which may just be a, uh, a cassette tape mm-hmm. to one person. But I'm assuming you were like a ride fan given the name of your blog. Yeah, was M not actually even close to my favorite song on uh, Going Blank again, but I like the phrase. Didn't really put a lot of thought into it. Certainly didn't think that it would become my pseudonym for the next <laughs> 20 plus years. Right. Um, but I don't mind it. I, I'm comfortable with it. And, yeah, I know. You know it, it doesn't even matter how I feel about it anymore. So it is what it is. I mean, it works too because it's, it's concise. I mean, when I see the words, I automatically think of some sort of sound element of, you know what I mean? Even if you had no idea what the reference was. Yeah, it's, it's evocative. Mm-hmm. Um, so it worked in that sense. And though I second guess a lot of things that I did and was like, oh, should I do this? That was one that I just sort of like, you know what? This works. I'm going to go with it. I went with it. You know, a lot of bloggers back then also like took lots of photos and you're like, trove of like photos is like so impressive like every time you pull out one of those like tbt's like and post like, yeah it's not photo, bad it's there's amazing there's stuff that um that i shot in the small clubs in toronto that i'm i'm pretty proud of there's stuff that i missed that i went to and i'm like oh man it would have been amazing to get pictures of that yeah as time is wearing on and when i go back and dig something out i'm like oh this was 17 18 years ago wow i just try not to think about it and a lot of the pictures are really really terrible really terrible <laughs> i don't but, think so actually i mean at least what what i've seen recently um i mean i think they're pretty pretty damn good for point and shoot they're they're honest like i still remember taking a lot of them i remember like they bring back the memory for me which is kind of the most important thing um and you know sometimes i'll put it up and people are like i was at that show too oh my god and occasionally the bands will notice it and like, like, holy shit, man, where'd you get this? Um, 
I want to apologize to all of them for firing the flash when I really shouldn't have been, but you know, cameras were so bad back then that to get anything, you just had to do it. But yeah, that's, that is one of the things that I'm happy that I'm doing, at least with Instagram, just because otherwise I've got these hard drives full of pictures that would never be seen anymore because no one's going to, uh, going to my blog and digging through those galleries because mm -hmm. why on earth would you? And it's also fun now that a much better Lightroom and Photoshop to go back and reprocess them and not be so terrible with sharpening and noise reduction and stuff. So just getting them to look a little bit better. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, I just love that your archives are still up. You know, there's very few blogs where you can still go back to it and read it and go through all the links and stuff. You'd have to you know, go on Wayback Machine and try to figure out where it all lives on the cyberspace. But Yeah, it surprises me that some guys who worked on it for a long time just let it go. Um, maybe they're not as, I don't even know if it's sentiment. It's more, I put all this time and energy into it. And if nothing else, this, this is my legacy. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I will fork out the hosting costs and the domain name and just keep it up. Yeah. How long that will persist I don't know. Maybe I'll have to leave something in my will about that. It's like, <laughs> just I, somebody keep paying the hundred something a month I, uh, for my for my hosting because um, I don't think I have got that backed up very well. But uh, yeah, it's important because I put a lot of time and energy into it, and just yeah. just for myself, I like to have it up there just to reference. This mm -hmm. is what I was doing with a decade mm -hmm. of my life. Oh my God, what was I doing with my life? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's funny when you when you're bringing you know, kind of return back to blogging lightly, as you would call it. Um, <laughs> like uh, you said, some would argue that I never left <laughs> because yeah, it's so true. Because it, like, it on is socials. You're constantly posting about the news. <laughs> it's because I'm I'm someone who's I'm interested, and that was why I started in the first place. I find something that was interesting. I want to share it. Like yeah. back in university, I would find a newspaper article that a band a friend would like, and I'd email it to them. It's like, hey, read this. And they're like, mm -hmm. I don't really care that much. I bought the record. That's all it is. But I didn't, I didn't get it at the time that someone could be casual, like casually interested in this stuff. Either you are completely committed and want to know everything, mm -hmm. like a psycho, or you're not involved at all. So that's kind of the pathology of that. But yeah, I mean, after I stopped having to spend every night writing and scheduling, which was the heaviest thing, I was tired of the band I was writing about. I was tired of having to do this constantly, mm -hmm. want to get on with my life, whatever that was. But I was, you know, just for my own interest, I'm still, I want to know when this record's coming out. I want to know when this band is on tour. I want to know all this stuff. And I just, Twitter and Facebook scratched that itch for a long time. And then when I started doing the Instagrams post of my photo archives, I got to write a little bit. And I realized that that was a muscle that had atrophied that I didn't mm. like had gone that way. So I'd start writing more and enjoying just thinking, trying to remember about that show or, or whatever about the, that time. And that's just kind of led into the fact that these days I'm listening to completely different stuff than I did when I was, uh, I was blogging and it's been an exploration. It's mostly older, older music. And so I'm exploring like YouTube archives of shows and, and all this stuff. And like, Oh, I want to put this some, even if it's just save it so I can reference it later, as opposed to digging through my Twitter, which is terrible to search or Instagram, which is even worse to search <laughs> just yeah. to have it in one place. So that's kind of how I've ended up back where I am now. And I was wondering um, how you would, describe your interest right now in kind of what's going on currently because Jin and I have spoken amongst ourselves and with other guests just kind of how it, it's waned through the years particularly recent years to kind of keep up to date with absolutely everything that's kind of buzzy and I find myself personally going backwards a lot more than I used to absolutely. Um, do you have any interest in kind of current stuff or is it I do I mean I know what people are talking about and so if I see the same name constantly, it's like, okay, I know they're, I have a general sense of what they're about, where they're coming from, what mm -hmm. that sounds like. And on, I only got Spotify or streaming maybe four, three or four years ago. Before mm -hmm. that, I was resolutely like, I'm going to buy this stuff. So I couldn't sample things well. 
mm-hmm. it was there was a cost associated with that. But now I can just you know what does this sound like? I'll listen to it. Okay, that's what the kids are into. I don't get this, but that's fine. I like to keep my ear to the ground sufficiently that if there's something that is happening in a genre that I like. I can keep up with that. When there were shows, if a band was coming to town that I'd seen in my RSS feeds, because I still do RSS feeds. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I know the name. I know they might be something I'm into, so I'll listen to that. Um, so it's by no means comprehensive. I do not care about keeping up with everything the way that I felt like I had to before as a job requirement, essentially. But I keep up with enough stuff that I can go to a small club show, enjoy that without you know, having to shell out 200 bucks for uh, a legacy act mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just, you know, did I like that? Did I not like that? It was all right. And, you know, I don't want to be that person who just listens to the same stuff that they've always enjoyed. I am, I've embraced that to a degree, but I still want to hear something, something new or something different. So when I go backwards, I'm going backwards to things that I maybe read about back in the day or influence something that I liked, but didn't really listen to much beyond like the hits or best mm-hmm. of compilation uh and that's a lot of the stuff that i've listened to now which has become a lot of like 80s post-punk um proto dream pop shoegaze kind of stuff is that i can it's all on spotify so i can go dig mm-hmm. through compilations b-sides live records what have you and uh and just get that education that i didn't have because i didn't listen to music before 1991 essentially Mm-hmm. and yeah. it's it's great i love it and it's all new um i don't have to worry about this band will turn out to be garbage um, <laughs> just because clearly they've already established that they are not or i know which records to avoid or that sort of thing so um and it gives me a whole new swath of stuff to go buying records of you know when one could go to a record store and go through the bins mm-hmm. you know it's if you've bought everything that you think you'll ever want you have no more purpose to go to record stores. And I like going to record stores. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were you like a curator of sponsors? You know, did you like do showcases and stuff back in the day? I personally didn't on my own. Toronto is too small for someone to try and get out and do that kind of thing. Like the, the local promoters are good. So if there's anybody of any kind of consequence who is interested in coming they will bring them to town and cover all the costs because it is not inexpensive. That said, for a number of years at South by Southwest, there's a guy who decided that it, I still don't really know what his business plan was. It felt like he had some other stuff on the go that we weren't privy to, but he got a bunch of the, uh, the bigger name bloggers together to put together showcases at South by this was starting in 2006 or 2007 he was using our contacts because at that time you could talk to bands directly it wasn't uh, entirely a pr exercise you could email the guys and they'd be like yeah we're not doing anything on the friday we'll come play your thing and it was it was fantastic i mean i made a list of uh who we had play that because it was not it's, it's a pretty impressive list i mean we had St. Vincent, Licky Lee, Jens Lechman, British Sea Power, Renz, Hold Steady, Camera Obscure, Warpaint. One of the Wu-Tang, I forget who at one point, um, do one of the shows. And it was just, the money never made sense to me. I don't know where it came from because by the end, the, the acts wanted, they wanted to get paid as they should. Yeah, but yeah. it took a little bit of the, the fun out of it because it wasn't that, yeah, we like you guys, but you know we're getting offered this much by Mog, whatever the hell Mog was. So... Those were probably the best times of South By is because we could put our names on something that we were genuinely proud of. There were bragging rights to it afterwards. And it was fun. And I got to see my friends who I would see once a year, basically in Austin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did one thing at Pop Montreal one year that was, it was okay. I mean, I had to front the money, which made it less fun. <laughs> mm, wow. But uh it's, it's fun, but it also puts a lot of pressure on you because, like, what if people don't come? Yes. A lot of times people didn't come, and then you'd feel bad for yourself. You'd feel bad for the bands. You'd feel bad for your perceived clout and, you know, just made you question yourself existentially. Um, <laughs> so that wasn't always the best to put yourself in, but uh, was part of some very, very cool things. What's, like, your favorite memory from those, like, the height of your blogging days? Probably those those South by Hot Freaks shows. 
for uh, for those those reasons because we would pack we had the club de ville and mohawk which are pretty oh, big venues in amazing. austin mm-hmm. yeah. like we had both of them two days and we would noon till five o'clock we were just loaded with bands three stages and just seeing the lineups seeing the people come in there and be excited seeing the artists be also be excited because you know they don't necessarily know what they've gotten into it was fun it felt pure Mm -hmm. um because you know once they start playing once the people are there the money stuff doesn't matter it's Mm -hmm. just about the people up there playing music people enjoying it and knowing that you you had a part in in putting this on it was it was pretty special i miss those days um i think a lot of the people i know stopped going to south by before i did because the last few years it was just who's here nobody okay that's cool yeah i just hang out on my own (laughs) yeah i mean i i don't remember the exact year i stopped going but I do recall that, like, in order to get into a certain show, you would have to purchase a certain kind of phone or download the app and then yeah. sign your life away. And it's like, it takes the magic out of it. You it know? got and it takes about the... the money very quickly. Yeah. You use the word pure, which I kind of feel like the purity of it kind of disappears when when it's all about the business of it, you know? It's true, though, you know, when I started going, uh, I knew people who'd been going a long time before and they were saying it's not the same. They were complaining about it. And I was like, what are you talking about? This is amazing. Mm -hmm. So I know people who started going towards the end of my run. And I felt like that grumpy old man. (laughs) It's like in my day, there wasn't a giant Doritos machine with Snoop Dogg playing (laughs) in the... Which, you know, I'm sorry, that is the height of absurdity. That I I walked by it. I remember that. (laughs) the, The last day of my last South By, I made a point of walking down whatever street it was on and i saw it and i said i'm done mm-hmm. any reservations i had about no longer coming back were over because it's just i can't deal with this this is too ridiculous but you know what i i don't know what it's like now obviously there is no south by right now but um even after all that and though i could be cynical about it i would tell people who were involved in like music writing or whatever like you got to go at least once I don't know what it yeah. is now, but if it's anything like it was, you have to go once because it is, it is absolutely unique. Mm-hmm. And you need to know what that's like to be on 6th Street on St. Patrick's Day when all the UT kids come back and are drunk out of their <laughs> minds and you're going to get into a fight every oh single block. So it's the worst true. thing in the world, but it's also the best thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And then you get a taco and you go home and you go to sleep. Yeah. I miss it. I really do. But I also miss being 30, so I think that's probably the same thing. <laughs> I don't know if I'm talking specifically about Southwest Southwest. I mean, you had to kind of be young to really hustle back and forth through Austin to go to oh all, every God. single yeah. show you wanted to go to. <laughs> yeah, I was reminiscing with a friend of mine the other day, and we were just kind of commenting how at the end of that week, like you're in such physical pain, particularly your everything below your knees. is, is Yeah, it's a lot. It's really heavy. The last show I saw the first or second year I went, I remember, I think it was Centromatic at Maggie Mays, and I could not stand. I was actually like hanging off the railing in front of the stage just to take pressure off of my feet because I was in such agony. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, It's brutal. Yeah, I don't understand the people who could like stay through Sunday. I was always out like after like Sunday, early Sunday morning, flying back to New York. You know, I usually was. I missed my flight one year because I overslept. And so I was there till like the Tuesday. Mm. And it was actually when you don't have to go to a show and you can just chill. It was really nice. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to get some breakfast. I'm going to go because I knew some people were still in town. So we're like, let's get some tacos. I'm going to go to Waterloo Records and actually shop. I'm just mm-hmm. going to relax for a bit. I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, Austin's actually really cool. All the music bands are gone. It's all football already on Sunday morning. <laughs> um, but yeah, getting out of there was generally the, I'm done. I am completely spent and I need to go home and sleep in my own bed. Yeah. I hear that. Should we hop into repeat skip? I think so. <laughs> okay. So our first album uh, that Frank selected is the Catherine Wheels Adam and Eve from 1997, um, with a naughty album cover. I have to say, a lot of tits and ass. <laughs> it's art. Storm Thorgerson, man. There was Legend. a lot of discussion online about like how it was so risque. I guess you know. Nowadays, it would just be an album cover, but I guess back then it did cause a little bit of a stir. But I don't know that I would call it a sexy album cover. 
Maybe it was naughty, but I don't know. I didn't think it was that. It was like it was like Paula Abdul, but without clothes or something. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Frank, what's your memory of this release? My memory is I was already a Catherine Wheel fan at the time, and I don't remember if there was any sort of drama around the release. The band always was had some issues. Uh, it may have been delayed or something, um, but it was. I remember being much anticipated when it came out. It was just like, holy crap, this is well, basically Pink Floyd. But um, it was it was great. I loved it. And Catherine Wheel have always had a disproportionately huge following in Toronto mm. for reasons oh, interesting. that I don't understand. I think part of it is uh, their manager at the time, Merc- Mercuriatus, who is also the guy who's buying everyone's catalog at Hypnosis now. Okay. He had a Mexican restaurant in Toronto that he really, really liked, apparently, called Hernandez Hideaway. I'm probably getting the facts of this wrong, but no one's going to call me on it. Uh, and it was like a block away from my apartment. And so there was apparently, like, he would be there with the band sometimes, and they'd just be hanging out, eating enchiladas. And I never saw them there, but that was just sort of this mythical thing. I'd walk by, I'm like, maybe Catherine <laughs> Wheel's in there right now. Um, so very, very fond of, uh, like, there was a connection there. And they also played my university town mm-hmm. uh, in 97. It was not a big town. I don't know why or how they chose to play Kitchener, Ontario, but they did. And so I got to see them play there in this converted theater. Again, they shouldn't have been. There's no reason that a British band, international band, should be playing this little podunk town, but they were for that record. And it was just, I mean, to, for the album itself, it's just, it's very epic. It was very kind of polished production-wise, the Tim Freeze Green the songs were great. It just felt like it was a next level kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. they were making this grand statement that would elevate them to be one of the, the great British rock bands of the 90s. And of course, I don't think anyone gave a damn. They broke up, what, one or two records later? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they had five records total. And this is maybe the third. They're the one sort of shoegaze band that probably there isn't quite enough money to make them reunite. Because they'd play Toronto to a big room, and that's about it. And Rob Dickinson's making probably more money. Just he makes custom Porsches now. No. Oh wow! Yeah, (laughs) he he builds Porsches um, in Los Angeles, so that's probably more profitable than fronting a rock band in your fifties. Exactly. They're kind of more known for like the earlier albums right like yeah those are the ones that get more uh more praise for mens and chrome Um, adam and eve is still my favorite there there is a very devoted fan base to those records happy days was their big hit but i don't think people talk about that one much because it's the hard rock hasn't aged that well and i didn't think wish bill was as bad as a lot of people did but you know what are you gonna do what did you like about this album just that it was like the next level for them after Ferment and Chrome, or yeah, I like this. I just liked its its epicness um, that it, mm. you know, it had sort of this structure to it. Like it was kind of a concept album. The sequencing of the songs, there was a certain flow to it that just it felt big and important. And you know, if I was a teenager in the seventies, I almost certainly would have been into prog rock for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I liked the album art. I just I liked. It just felt like a thing that, a, a tentpole for what I was into around then. It's like this. This is going to be part of me and who I am and what I'm what I'm about. And mm-hmm. uh, one of my good friends was an even bigger Catherine Wheel fan, uh, still is. So it was just a thing that the two of us could be like, "Ah, oh, this is so good. What's what's wrong with everybody? Why don't they understand this?" <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like weird to read that um, Rob Dickinson was like the cousin of bruce dickinson yep there there's a similarity there if you look at them as well um but yeah that's an interesting one the song that you repeated over and over again i don't remember what i said uh i'll tell you thank you (laughs) that that is on a different cheat sheet that is the one that i sent to you and did not keep locally so (laughs) uh, you said uh delicious which I think you and Matt agreed on. Yeah, I mean, I'm a pop guy, so you give me the biggest hooks. Um, I'll probably go there. I mean, it's it's a great riff. Uh, it's the the one sort of novelty thing is that the uh, the woman who's laughing in the background is was I think Brian Adams' girlfriend. 
And she was also in a Bond film, briefly. She was a Danish model. Um, And she was, you know, there's always that first Bond girl who dies and (laughs) sets him into motion because the villain has done something. Um, I don't remember which Bond movie it was, but she was in that, and I thought that was also kind of cool. Is she the one who does all the talking? Because I feel like a couple of the other yes. Jacks also. Yes, uh, all, the, all the female voiceovers and spoken word bits are her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I found weird, I don't know. <laughs> like I wasn't that into the, the spoken bit. It's, it's part of the concept album. It's just it's too deep. <laughs> I don't know if there was actually that much thought that went into it, but they certainly presented <laughs> it well. And it could just be the Storm Thorgerson artwork that made me think that there must be depth here. Mm. Yeah, will, or at least some kind of artistic attempt yes. to mm-hmm. express, you know. I will not second guess it. <laughs> I mean, personally, I wasn't that into Delicious. Although, actually, I love the beginning of that song. But there's something about the word delicious that like <laughs> just, doesn't, just makes me giggle more than like it kind of loses me because of that. Um, <laughs> Because I'm like, a, I'm really, I, words are important to me. So if, if there's some strange thing with words in a song, they'll just lose me, you know? Like, it That's happens fair. to me with like Interpol too. Like, if there's something. Yeah, weird. not their strong suit. Yeah. No. Lyrically, <laughs> Interpol has always been kind of uh, yeah. cringy. Yeah. So, like, I have to, like, uh, it has to be like a seamless kind of like lose myself in it, but it. There's something that just like tickles me in the wrong way. I will like fall out of it for for me at least. I don't know, Matt. What did you you picked? Delicious. Um. Yeah, I picked delicious as well. You know, Catherine Wheel. I mean, I was such a and I still am such a huge '90s Britpop fan. But for some reason, Catherine Wheel was never like within my top five, top ten. And I don't know if it's because in terms of like US radio airplay or something, it didn't get as much as, you know, the the bigger acts, I guess. Or if it was just, I don't know why exactly. But um, I remember that my first exposure to Catherine Wheel was on either 120 Minutes or Alternative Nation. And I it was the, maybe around 93, 94, and I was blown away. I don't remember the track, but it was obviously from one of the earlier releases. Um, but I never kind of followed them as much through the years. So I haven't revisited this release in quite some time. So it was kind of fun to revisit it. Um, yeah, I mean, when I listen to it, it just makes me think of how uh, influential they were to British acts that kind of followed years later. In particular, I'm thinking of like um, Doves and Elbow. Um, I kind of sense like a bit of a parallel. And then I was reading that um, apparently Ben Gibbard said that they were a big influence on Death Cab, which I wouldn't have guessed. No. Um, right. Um, I think another thing is that in this particular year, 97, I feel like there were so many gigantic like um, British uh, rock releases. Uh, OK Computer, Urban Hymns, The Verve. Uh, I don't know. I think somehow maybe for some reason for me, it got lost a bit. But um but that's yeah, true. Fun. And that's just part of their, their bad luck as a band. It's like they put out their magnum opus and mm-hmm. everyone else does as well. And mm-hmm. I think also this was the year that Prodigy put out The Fat of the Land, which I feel like love or hate that album. It was kind of the start of people taking electronic music maybe more seriously in a more pop kind of element. And they were British. And I don't know, I feel like that kind of factors into mm. that. Maybe for some writers, this was this was kind of a little bit of like the end of the Britpop guitar type era. I don't know. Um, anyway, I'm rambling a bit, but um, I enjoyed it. It was fun to listen back to it. My skip was um, Goodbye, just because I felt like it was a little too meandering and a little jam band-esque. Um, but overall, I thought this was a pleasant listen. I mean, my repeat... Uh, I I kind of landed on Broken Nose, but I was listening to Goodbye a couple times just because uh, you had picked it as a skip. <laughs> After I started listening to it, like, you know, a few times, I was like, I actually kind of like it. Like, mm-hmm. I might I might have repeated that one, actually. Because um, uh-huh. the whole way through, even though it was pretty long, you know, seven minutes or so, like, it really had, like, a, a nice journey. I mean... I just, I love Rob Dickinson's vocals. And that was just a song that, you know, I kind of, 
kind of actually surprisingly connected with. Mm-hmm. And and I also kind of didn't mind the untitled one and twos. That kind of like framed. Yeah, I didn't album, either. And know? usually I'm not the interlude person, but like I really enjoyed those actually. Yeah. So Frank, you said you would skip for dreaming. Yeah, it's just it's a little dirgy for my tastes. Um I mean, it's later on in the record, and I think at that point, something that kind of wrong and leaden is just, it felt, it's a bit of a slog to get through. Yeah, it's another, like, seven-minute song. Um, Yeah, and it doesn't have sort of, it's not interesting enough to justify that kind of length. The only part that I thought, like, halfway through when when it gets kind of quieter and his voice gets sounds, like, a little more vulnerable, I actually liked that moment, and I wish, like... There are more moments like that because I feel like when he goes soft, it there's just something really like emotional about it that like I feel like I can connect to it a little bit more. But that's just me. But yeah, overall, I don't know. Yeah, I could have skipped that one. <laughs> I almost picked fat the, the the fat controller song because, but I just like couldn't do it because of the um the song title <laughs> bothered me. <laughs> Yeah, that is an odd one. I think it's it's a British phrase. Like it means something about like uh, the guy who controls the purse strings, or it's in someone in a company structure. That okay. um, maybe like the comptroller, like in the yeah US. something. I've I've always kind of meant to look that up, um, <laughs> but I've heard the phrase before, so I think that it means something in that sense. Like, oh, here comes the guy who controls all the money. Got it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just some thing that they put together and thought that it was uh, funny sounding. Yeah, yeah, but you know, actually, like, yeah, I feel like I also like kind of discovered Catherine wheel later in life and not so much like when they were popular and maybe it's because they weren't ever on a mixtape i received because like honestly mixtapes really informed my musical taste like in the 90s and a lot of it was shoegaze so i'm kind of surprised there wasn't a Catherine wheel song on there at least like like a black metallic or i want to touch you you know kind of vibe on it but which is more my kind of vibe as far as their catalog goes, they'll always have like a soft spot in people's hearts who aren't really into them, you know. So mm-hmm, I feel like because mm-hmm. they come up a lot when you're yeah, talking they do. about shoegaze. Should we hop into album number two? Yes. <laughs> it is Crooked Fingers, Dignity and Shame from 2005. Frank, what are your memories of this one? This, uh, I mean, first, this is one of my all-time favorite records. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty much perfect start to finish. Uh, I love Eric Bachman. I love I love Crooked Fingers more than I do uh, Archers of Loaf. Um, mm-hmm. I like his softer side, though this isn't necessarily a soft record. Um, I like his constantly shifting who he, who he plays with, what he does, how he writes, but it's always him because he is this gigantic six foot five bear man who sings <laughs> these beautiful, sad songs. Um, so this record, I mean, we were talking earlier about my first uh, guest list show. It was them on tour for this record. Oh, wow. Um, it was an amazing show. I'm eternally thankful to the guy whose name I've forgotten uh, for ringing me to this because I probably wouldn't have gone... Otherwise, like, oh, I've, I've heard of them, but I'm not going to pay like $12 for a ticket to this show. They had the entire, I don't know if it's the entire band from the record on tour with them, but he did have uh, another name I can't pronounce, Laura Marikatten. Mer- mm. she, she was I'm... on tour with them doing her parts, and like her vocals on that record are incredible. So they that. reproduced it. It was just, it was so good. Um, I still go back to that record and play it and I'm blown away by how good it is. Uh, I know a lot of people who've heard it, love it in that way, but it still is just a completely unrecognized gem of this century. It's just Mm -hmm. such a good record. It's just beautiful. Um, I mean, when you've got, uh, St. Vincent National covering Sleep All Summer and, Best Coast, Bethany, and is it Jimmy World Guy? I don't know. Um, but they did like a, a quarantine cover of it uh, last oh, year. They and did? 
Nice. Yeah, and it's like look it up. It's it's such a good version. And it's I mean they're good performers, good voices, but it's because it's such a good song that you find a male vocalist and a female vocalist who are able to play those parts and it's just it's so gorgeous all the time. And Nico Case did it on her last record, I think, with Eric Bachman uh, reprising his vocals. It's just it's a perfect song. That is a good song actually. But I have to say, uh I didn't listen to this album before this this episode. That's and, a lot of people. And I I really enjoyed it. Like and I wouldn't say like I liked every song. Like I know that there is like this kind of loose Spanish love story theme, like Matador kind of love story, um, that it was like based on, supposedly. But I actually I, I feel like if you could take out those those kind of songs from the album, then it would be like like a pretty perfect album for me. I had a hard time figuring out how to pronounce her name, but La- Lara Meyerakin, or I'm probably butchering your name, sorry. Her vocals were awesome, and I had like never heard of her before. She she does her own, she did her own stuff as Elmay. Um, she oh, toured, okay. She toured with Luna um, before they broke up the first time and before I think Britta was in the band. But yeah, her voice is, is fantastic. Um, and I'm just going to correct something I said earlier. That was it was uh, Beth, Best Coast and Jimmy Eat World, but it wasn't Sleep All Summer. It was Call It the Love that they covered. Okay. Mm. So it was a uh, much more up tempo. Um, that makes but a great, sense great, them. great cover. Yeah. Because any song on that record with uh, with Eric and Lara singing is just Chef's Kiss. That's all that is. <laughs> yeah. No, I I really enjoyed it. So I. I want to thank you for choosing this album because now I'm yeah i don't think it. either one of us would have picked this on our own so it's pretty under the radar i mean i don't think that um it got anything in the way of buzz um it's still eric bachman carrying cruising on his fan base which will follow him anywhere but um i don't think it did a lot yeah um, I but mean, it should have it's so good if you just know, you know, Archers of Loaf and Weapon Front, like, you wouldn't necessarily think that this was him. It was just, like, really surprising to me, and I, I just really liked the honesty that I felt like a lot of the tracks had and, like, the quality of the songwriting. But what was your favorite song? Wait, should I tell you what your favorite song or do you remember I, I found <laughs> I found the, uh, the list, so I know what it was. And it would have been what I would have guessed anyways. I mean, it's hard to choose because I love pretty much every song on this uh, on this record, but I went with Call to Love. Partly because of the, the Best Coast Jimmy World. I mean, I'm not a big fan of either of those acts, but, you know, when I heard that cover because anyone covers any song from this record i'm going to listen to it Mm -hmm. because they must know something Mm. um it was just so good and it's it's one of the up songs on the record and just almost immediately i went and pulled out the record went upstairs and played it and it's like oh this is so good and i do that every time that i'm reminded of the album and i take it and listen to it i have the same reaction it's just like i cannot believe how much i enjoy this record it's just it's so good. Um, so that at the moment is my repeat song. And when it came out, I did put it on repeat a lot because I just loved it so much. Um, but yeah, I can, I could choose almost any song on this record and, and make an argument for it. Um, the slow ones, the fast ones, just the, the, the pacing and the structure of the record is, is so good, which is why you're skip. It's like, what do you mean I have to skip a song on this record? I, I don't understand what you're saying. You're monsters. Um, yeah, but so, I think we all had the same choice for that one, no? Yeah, because it's the shortest, so it, it cuts the least off of the experience. And, uh, you know, if I had to choose one, that would be why. But it's also the perfect intro because it sets the tone. It's like it's the flamenco guitar. It's mm-hmm. the sort of the sad horns and... Um, it, it is the perfect opening to the record. So to cut that off is also just a crime against um, music. Well, but if you, you got to do it, you got to do it. If you say it that way, it kind of makes sense to me. But yeah. <laughs> it's another concept album. Apparently, I really like those. Yeah, apparently you do. <laughs> I need to reevaluate my, my record collection. I need more King Crimson in here. 
<laughs> I'll tell you that, like, when I was listening uh, to the album in preparation for this, I started dancing when Call to Love came on, and my body started moving, and I was like, I love this song, and I would totally yes. repeat this over and over again. Um, and also the Sleep All Summer as well, you know, just mm -hmm. like a really lovely song. I really, I mean, I always vibe to, like, male-female vocal kind of songs, like, anyway. What about you, Matt? Uh, my favorite track was actually a song that we have not discussed yet. It was Destroyer. And for me, I enjoyed that song because for me, I kind of sensed a bit of Nick Cave in the mm. track, particularly like maybe Straight to You. I don't know. Something about it was super sentimental and I really enjoyed that one. So yeah, that was my favorite. But yeah, this was not an album. I mean, it was definitely on my radar, but I did not listen to it much 16 years ago, to be perfectly honest. Is that how long ago it was? Jeez. 2005. 2005. <laughs> oh my gosh. When you say it that way, it's like, damn. So old. <laughs> I mean, I also chose to skip Islero. <laughs> um, but also Valerie, I thought, was a little bit... Um, I don't know. There was just something about the tone of it, I thought, that was borderline cheese. Um, but that's my opinion. Sorry, Frank. <laughs> No, that's absolutely valid. I don't know that I was very even that familiar with Crooked Fingers in general. Of course, like I've seen it on like club calendars like all the time and on blogs, but I don't know that I ever really like explored it fully, you know. So mm -hmm. thanks, Frank. You're welcome. Yes. Eric Bachman is a hardworking man and uh, he deserves as much attention as he can possibly get because he's a treasure. Yeah, no, I, I feel like now I'm going to start digging into his catalog a little more. The Crooked Fingers catalog. Although, I know he retired that name. The, the solo stuff is basically the same. Um, yeah. The last, his two, last two solo records are also very good. And they're, they're interesting enough, uh, production instrument-wise, that it's not like, oh, it's a folk record with a guy on an acoustic guitar. Like, it's, it is sonically, still sonically interesting. Mm-hmm. It's really, it was really interesting to hear like your perspective, uh, you know, coming from the Canadian music scene and then mm -hmm. also witnessing what we also experienced in New York a little bit and at South by and to just, you know, kind of see what that was like in comparison to like our experiences, which I feel like are pretty similar, except New York maybe was just like a little bit bigger. It's bigger, it's louder, it's more intense. It's used to having people watching it, I think, which makes a big difference. Whereas once the spotlight was put on Toronto, we scattered like cockroaches. We didn't really understand what was happening. <laughs> but I mean, New York is unique in the world. Even if you look at, say, London or something, it's similar but different. Mm -hmm. New York, at least in especially North America and especially it's Toronto, like the, the gravity, the gravitational pull is so massive that there, there's no comparing it. Everyone mm -hmm. has to look towards New York for everything. And you'll always be compared. Thanks so much for like coming on the podcast and like sharing your experiences. And that was my know, pleasure. I'm definitely no checking out the Space Echo. <laughs> Everyone should yes. check out Space Echo. <laughs> was it like spaceecho.chromewaves.net? Yeah, I wasn't going to bother buying another domain name and setting all that stuff up. <laughs> Well, especially um, if you've been paying those hosting fees. Exactly. I'm, I'm managing my costs here. But uh, it's... And, and another reason for starting is because my WordPress theme before was a hot mess. When I retired, I had thought about maybe like rebuilding it just to make it nicer. But it's not possible. Those The archives are just so... I'm amazed that it still works. I've I'm afraid to even update the software in case it all falls apart. So <laughs> I wanted to have something clean and simple and just start over like that. Kind of like, like my music format. collection. Yeah, I like mm -hmm. the new format, just like the one column. You know, I wanted a Tumblr, yeah. something like a Tumblr, because that just seemed easiest. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But I've already slipped back in the habit of writing more than I'd intended to or <laughs> trying to make things bigger and whatever. So I know. Um, I need, I... need to manage my. Bad instincts, <laughs> bad habits. No, I like I like that you posted like a, a Bernard Butler suede uh, post of him like teaching you how to play guitar. <laughs> this this is the stuff that I would rather be 
putting up there than whatever the latest buzzy band is. This is how you play Animal Nitrate. Does anyone care? I don't know. I put up. The, I try not to look at my stats because they're very, very small. But stats. it's it's entirely for <laughs> me. So that's it. yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're back in action in the blog yeah, action. And, Thank you very much. And uh, you know, you gotta share. You gotta teach the kids these days. <laughs> so. I'll teach my kid. I've got about 15 or 16 years before he's uh, gonna worry about any of this sort of thing. Oh my gosh, he's gonna like go back and read your blog post and be like, "This um, is my dad." <laughs> put a, I'll put a parental lock on that. <laughs> so Password protect it. <laughs> So thank you, Frank, for joining us for our first episode of season four of Mixtape Memories, and we will catch you next time. Bye. 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 Looking to expand or move your company? Ohio has the talent you need to scale for growth. Ohio's central location, reliable infrastructure, and top-ranked business climate are here to help you succeed. Get to business. Visit successinohio.com today.